As I look out at the snow and cold, and I think about the series called Prodigal Family, uh, bringing practical help to our families, uh, I, I'm focused upon this story Jesus told about a father and two sons. And one day the younger son says to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Meaning his inheritance, which because he was the younger son would have been one third of everything the father owned. In those days, this was incredibly disrespectful to the father to ask for this inheritance. This was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. But the father surprises everyone by dividing up his property between the two sons. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and traveled to a distant country where he wasted everything that had been given to him. And then a famine comes and he begins to work for a pig farmer. And he ends up hungry eating corn cobs from the pig slop. In this desperate situation, he decides to return to his father, having learned an important lesson. And when he returns, he will confess his sin against God and against his father and ask for forgiveness and ask to be hired as a hired hand, never to be called a son again. So the son returns to his father and when he's still a long ways off, his father sees him and his father runs to hug and kiss him. The son begins his speech, but the father's not listening. Father says there will be a celebration, a party, a feast. Get a heifer and roast it, barbecued beef. A son who was lost is now found. All this time, the older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. And as he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked, what's going on? And the servant told him, your brother came home. Your father ordered a feast and a party. The older brother stalked off angry and refused to join the party. His father came out and tried to talk to this son, but the oldest son disrespected his father by not listening or going to the party. The son said, look, for many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? This son of yours has squandered your money on immoral living and you go all out with a feast for him. The father said, Son, you don't understand. Everything that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate. Your brother was lost and now he's found. The story ends with the father celebrating with the younger son at the party and estranged from his older brother. So what does this word prodigal, prodigal family mean? One thing it means is reckless, doing something without thinking about the consequences. And this story has always been called the parable of the prodigal son because the younger son's behavior was seen as reckless. But we want to remind you the father, father figure is also reckless, loving his son, reckless with his love, reckless with his grace, reckless with his forgiveness, reckless with giving up his own rights. So the question is this, how might you and I be a little more reckless in our families like this father was in his? There was a man. That is how Jesus starts one of his most famous parables. There was a man who had two sons. This is a story about that man, that father. And this is a story about the reckless love this father shows his children. Two very different children. So in the story Jesus tells, there's a younger brother and there's an older brother. Both boys have the same problem. 
They both failed to understand their dad's love for them, and they both broke their dad's heart. So this is a story that Jesus told to try to get mean-spirited, grumpy, excluding, party-pooping religious people on the one hand, and a group of irreligious, excluded, downtrodden people on the other hand, to understand the reckless love God the Father has for both these kinds of people in spite of themselves. Those were the people in the audience that day when Jesus told this story of the parable son. And he especially told this story. He aimed it right at the religious people in that crowd that day because they were grumping around about why Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, would eat and drink with sinners. They were mad about it. And their view of God was so off. So Jesus mainly told this story for them, but he also wanted the sinners in the crowd, which was just a term for non-religious people. He wanted those people too to change their minds about what they had come to believe about God and who God loved. They'd been told their whole lives, mostly by the religious people, God doesn't love you. And Jesus wanted to change their minds too, just like the minds of the religious people. And I wonder this morning, if maybe some of us need our minds changed about God as well. So our our purpose in these next five weeks of this series called The Prodigal Family is that we're gonna spend this whole five weeks in one story. And we're gonna do our best to learn from it about who Jesus says his father is and how Jesus says his father loves. And then we're going to encourage ourselves to bring that same kind of love into our families, whatever our families look like right now. Okay, because we understand that our families take lots of different forms and shapes. But can we just have a moment together (laughs) and acknowledge this one truth, that family life is one of the places where we can feel the most broken and the most deficient. No matter what we look like on the outside, no matter how shiny we look when we come to church, we often feel there's some kind of ideal family life and that others meet it, but not us. And so... We hide and we pretend and we bury ourselves and our family members in guilt, shame, and anger. Happy February, everyone. (laughs) Welcome to the family series. But God wants to offer us something good this morning, something kind, something healing, right in the midst of our family messes. So... This is a story about a man with two pretty schmucky sons. And we're going to look at just one part of this story this morning, just one verse, actually. One verse, Luke 15, 20, if you want to open your Bibles. And as we look at this one verse and talk about this dad, will you listen for how God feels and acts toward you? 
First, will you listen for that? Will you listen first for how the Father is recklessly moving toward you in love all the live long day, whether you run away and do dumb stuff like the younger brother did in this story, or whether you stay home and are a good little resentful boy or girl like the elder brother. After listening for how God loves you, as we look at this one verse, then, then I want you to start to consider how you might bring that kind of love to the people who are closest to you. So, I'm gonna say this again. This is a story of a dad filled with reckless love for his two sons. So let's learn together what that kind of reckless love looked like. I don't know if you kind of caught the beginning of, of Dave telling the story, because we had so many cute people up here, but uh, the story in a nutshell is that, that there was a dad who had two sons, and the younger son came to his dad and asked for his share of the inheritance early, which basically means, I wish you were dead, and the dad gives it to him, and the son goes and blows it. And when he's starving, he starts to head home, mainly to try to find a way to fill his belly. So we're going to pick up the story there. Luke 15, verse 20, says this. And so he, the younger son, remember, took the money, went and blew it, hungry, now he's coming home. And so he got up and he ran to his father. But while he was still a long way off, this detail was so important. It was so important when Jesus told this story. This is the first truth about reckless love, and that is that reckless love watches. Reckless love watches. No matter how or why his kid ran away or how or why his kid was limping home, we find the father in this story watching. And he must have been watching to have noticed his son running toward him from a long way off. I picture him kind of standing at the end of his driveway, scanning the horizon, straining his eyes, searching for any kind of a glimpse of his son. And I was thinking about that image and it reminded me of something my husband did once when our oldest daughter was on a date and she was late to come home. So he went out to the driveway and he watched. <laughs> but he didn't just stand in the driveway plain t in plain sight. He stood kind of behind a hedge that was next to our driveway. And as soon as he heard and saw those, those uh, headlights coming up the driveway, he stepped out from the hedge and stood there and greeted my daughter and her date. That's not the kind of watching I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the image in my head. The father was watching. And did you know that your heavenly father stands at the end of the proverbial driveway, always watching, always scanning the horizon for you? No matter how far you've run, no matter what you're currently doing, no matter how long you've been away, he is always watching for you in love. And so I wonder, is there someone in your family that you need to be watching for? 
Is there someone who is estranged from you, who's lost for some reason, who's far from you, and, 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 and God may be nudging you this morning to maybe go stand at the end of your driveway and watch for them. Or at the same time, is there someone you need to back off a bit from? <laughs> Moms, usually this is us, okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> Not pursue them in anxiety or to get your own needs met, but is there someone, a child or a spouse that you need to watch for, yes, but in a wise and patient way like this dad? Notice this dad didn't go screaming around his village asking everybody where his son was. He didn't text his son 800 times on his cell phone. Is there anyone you might need to back off from a little bit in your inner circle and simply watch and wait? Reckless love always watches. So what happened next in this story, right? And so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Second thing reckless love does is reckless love sees It sees. So his dad was watching for him, standing at the end of the driveway, wise and available, and then he saw him. Now, what does that entail? What do you have to be doing to see someone? Your face has to be turned toward them. Middle-aged people, you know it's like when you get your first pair of bifocals and the lady or man at the glasses store says, now you need to turn your face toward whatever you're trying to look at. You guys don't have bifocals, you don't know what I'm saying. But this is true. You can't see somebody if your back is turned toward them. Right? Unless you're a mom and then you have eyes in the back of your head just like that. Isn't that the grossest picture? Take it down. Take it down. I can't stand it. So this, this dad had his face turned toward wherever he thought his son was going to come from. And the question is, why does that matter that the father's face was turned toward the son? So even though he was a long way off, his dad saw him. Because in Jesus' culture, to turn your face towards someone is to bless them. It is to show or demonstrate your favor toward them. Look at just a few verses where you can see this kind of imagery played out. In in the Old Testament book of Numbers, there's this beautiful blessing. And look what it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Psalm 67, again, the the first verse, same kind of imagery. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. This is the first and most basic part of blessing another human being, and that is we need to turn our faces toward them. And so here we have this father, this dad with these two sons, He's been hurt, embarrassed, rejected, built out of his estate, and publicly humiliated by his kid. And he did not wait at the end of the driveway with his arms crossed and his face turned away in disgust. 
he kept his face turned toward his son. And in this very posture, he exhibited a blessing. Did you know that your heavenly father always has his face turned toward you? He never rests. He never closes his eyes. He never looks away. He never turns away from you in disgust. No matter how rejected or unfavored you feel in this world, God turns his face toward you with unmerited favor and the love that a parent has for a child multiplied by infinity or infibity, as my kids used to say. I miss that. I want to make Chuck say infibity at home just to hear it. So how are you doing with this in your family? With your friends, with your closest people? I don't, I don't do very well with this, to be honest with you, this keeping my face turned toward my people. It's not because I don't want to look at them, it's just that I forget. Right, I get tired or busy or distracted or frankly, the worst reason of all, I feel like I'm already familiar with them. And so I stop looking. Think back to the last week of your life or month. How often did you really find yourself looking at, seeing, turning your face toward your closest people? Wives, when is the last time you turned over in bed and really looked at, really saw the face of your husband? <laughs> and I don't mean when you're wanting to figure out how on earth he can snore so loud, right? I mean, can I get a witness to this? Or parents, on a little more serious note, when is the last time you really looked at your kids? Not to fix them, not to offer them advice, not to tell them what they're doing wrong, but to see them and to be amazed. Kids, when's the last time you really looked at your parents? I mean, really seen them. And I'm not talking about that look you give them when you're trying to figure out why they're still wearing those jeans. <laughs> like, why? Okay, take that down. Also, too distracting. What might it look like in your life, in your family, for you to become a person who really sees those closest to you? and seize them in order to bless them, not curse them. I bet there's someone in your family or your inner circle who is aching for you to turn your face toward them and for you to really see them. Everyone is aching to be seen. So back to the dad in this story. Jesus says, while his son was still far off, he saw him, his dad saw him, and was filled with compassion for him. That is, he felt for his son in his gut. And then he did something. And he ran 
to his son. It's the third thing reckless love does. It watches, it sees, and then it runs. And in the Middle East where where Jesus was telling this story, there was no way a man of this man's age in this story and position would ever run. Men of that age always walked and they always walked slowly and in a dignified fashion. It would be safe to assume that if this were a real story, and it's not, it's just a parable Jesus was telling, but all of his listeners knew there's no way an older dad like that would run. But this father runs. And in fact, the word for run here in the original language could best be translated, he raced. This dad was the Usain Bolt of the Middle East. He was racing toward his son. And here's something incredibly important I want you to notice. Hear me here. Did this dad wait to run toward his son until his son got all the way to him and confessed what a schmuck he was? What happened first? Did did the dad wait to move toward his son until his son got out his words of apology? Or did his dad just see the son from far off and take It's so important for us to notice the order here because Jesus told it intentionally. This dad moved toward his son in love before he even knew that what his son was going to say, if anything. For all he knew, his son was racing home to ask him for a loan. For all he knew, his son was coming home to cast more words of curse upon his dad and say things like, I wish you were dead. This dad doesn't know there will be a confession. He just takes off sprinting toward his boy. His love compelled him to move toward his son regardless of what his son was going to say. This dad ran first. And this idea has a name. It has a theological name. This is called prevenient grace or prevenient love. And all that means, the word prevenient in Latin means going before. And it means that God's love always goes before us. God's love always comes first. God always makes the first move toward us in love. God's offer of his open arms is always what comes first. Do you know that? God is always racing toward you. He's way ahead of you. He's not waiting for you to say all the right words or get all the right things in your life figured out. Before you even know what you should say, he's racing toward you. And he's racing toward you when you least deserve it. How are you doing that with that in your family? Moving toward people when they least deserve it. I have a son named William who's now in law school, so please don't report him because this story could come back and bite him and cause him to never be a lawyer and have to live at home for the rest of his life or something. So this is just between us, okay? But when Will was a senior in high school, he was on the West Waterloo swim team, and he decided that it would be funny if he opened a fake Twitter account as if he were the West High Waterloo swim coach. 
his dad and I did not know this was happening. We didn't even know what Twitter was, okay? And so Will, pretending he was the West High swim coach, started to tweet all kinds of smack talk about Cedar Falls swim team. And especially about a swim meet coming up and what was going to happen and what the Waterloo swim team was going to do to the Cedar Falls swim. I didn't know any of this was happening. But I guess one of the Cedar Falls swimmers showed his mom. And then his mom was friends with the president of the Waterloo school board, whose son also happened to swim on the West High team with my son. So I got a call from the president of the Waterloo school board letting me know that my son had created a fake Twitter account, was talking smack as if he were the West High swim coach about the Cedar Falls boys. <laughs> my son was currently at swim practice, swimming along in a little Speedo. <laughs> and I thought, that's it. <laughs> I'm going over there. I'm going to pull that boy out by his swim cap. And I'm going to hold him up dangling there above that pool in his little Speedo, and I'm going to let him know exactly how I feel about what he just did. I'm going to shame him publicly, because right now I feel shame, and so I want to get back at him. Called my husband, told him my plan. <laughs> Long, quiet, wise, patient, shaking his head, pause. And he said, no, no, you're not going to do that. We're going to wait for him. We're going to watch for him. We're going to see his face when he comes in the door. Then we'll have a plan after that. My boy walked in the door. He looked at his dad and me. And he just said to me, I'm such an idiot. I'm so sorry. Next slide. Nothing is more potent than love in the midst of deserved judgment. If I had done what I had planned to do, I would have potentially deeply damaged my relationship with my son. When your kids or family members least deserve it, just like the father in this story, that is the time to move toward them in love, undeserved love, because that is how God is always moving toward you. How are you doing with that in your family? And may, may I just add, I have to do this. This doesn't apply if you're being abused, okay? If you're being abused in your family in any way, in your marriage, if you're a kid and you're being abused, you get to safety, you get help, we'll help you, okay? You don't move toward your abuser in love at that point. You get out, you get safe, and then we can talk about healing, okay? One last thing the dad did, and then I'm done. He saw his son from a long way off. He watched and waited. He ran toward him. And then it says, and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
And the story also says that he threw a robe on his son and he put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Reckless love watches and it sees and it runs and it plans. This dad didn't need to go digging through his closet to find the robe. He didn't go search for the ring in the safe deposit box. He didn't dig through the mudroom for the shoes, all of which symbolized that this kid was his son. He just had these things, these symbols of welcome. He was ready to love. Love was his instinct. Love was his reflex. Love was his habit. Love was his reaction. And as soon as his boy got close, He was ready. He had a plan to throw that robe on his shoulders, ring on his fingers, shoes on his feet, and throw that boy a party. No shaming, no guilt, no berating, no telling the son how much public humiliation the dad felt. No, love was and always is his plan. Did you know that this is how the father feels about you? He has a plan for you all the time. He's always ready to throw his arms around you and kiss you. He's always ready to make you his son or daughter or remind you afresh that you already are his son or daughter. He's ready to welcome you home with laughter and music and the fatted calf and some fine wine and all the neighbors. God is always watching and seeing and he's always ready to throw you a party. He just wants you to come home. He just wants every lost and lonely sinner to come home. That's why Jesus told this story. And a huge part of how that happens is in our families. These circles of people that get thrown together, sometimes We don't understand how it happened, but we do. We're thrown together. And these are to become places where God's reckless kind of love is our first instinct. Always. Mother Teresa, the great saint in India, said this. If you want world peace, go home and love your family. Let's pray. God, we cannot fathom the love you have for us. And that is why we have such a hard time loving other people, especially our family. It's hard. It costs us something. Love is not our first instinct. We don't want to watch. We don't want to see. And yet that's what you call us to do. So God, will you remind us afresh right now as we sing about how much you love us and then will you release us into our families, our circles of influence with one little glimmer of one new way that we can start to release that kind of love in our families no matter what shape or form they take. We pray this all in Jesus' good and powerful name.